The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Holy smoke-alicious, baby. Let's go. We are here. What a wild road it has been, but welcome to Trading Secrets and the first episode. I, I promise, let me start off by saying this, I promise to not always have that let's get ready to rumble voice, but I am so excited and fired up about this podcast, and I want to start off by just saying thank you. Thank you for giving me a chance. I can't wait to hear from you. I can't wait to learn from you. And most importantly, I can't wait to build every aspect of this podcast for you. If you don't know me, my name's Jason Tardick, and I'm your host of Trading Secrets. My very quick story is I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and I'd say my family's a bit of, you know, we have modern family vibes. Grew up in a small town, Jewish liberal mother, Catholic conservative father, and a happily married gay brother. And as far as work goes, I was your typical follow the career rules guy, be the yes man, get my degree, grind at the bank, got my MBA, left the bank only to come back to the bank. I was the yes man. They relocated me all over the country. The biggest move from Rochester, New York to Seattle, Washington, all to get my cool, amazing senior vice president title. Wow. I was wrong. I was chasing the wrong things. And the thing is, is I end up miserable. The title, the company, the promotions, even the pay, none of that put a smile on my face. And it's the most 2021 thing a human could say, but what turned my life upside down was going on a reality TV show called The Bachelorette. Needless to say, my company soon pushed me out the door. I'll get into those details in this podcast, I promise. And actually, speaking of podcasts, I was actually offered a podcast in the last year, a really solid offer. And all the details I actually disclose in this first episode, but I declined that podcast. And I did it because it just didn't align with my passion at all. This podcast does. The likelihood, like just if I'm going to be honest, because we're trading secrets here, I'll probably make a lot less doing this podcast. But this is more impactful to me. It's something I wake up thinking about every day. And that's what you should know as a listener. This podcast is about you. The topics, the guests, the discussions, the questions, they're all built for the purpose of education, insight, and gaining more information as to just where money is made, how, and why. The goal of each episode and the podcast in general is to shatter the ceilings about discussions as they relate to money. I don't get why we live in this world where we have to hide our finances. We can't talk about our debt or talking about our investments. God forbid we talk about our pay. In my opinion, that shit's got to end. We can't move forward until we acknowledge where we are today. And the only benchmark we have is honest conversations with one another. Like, where the hell do I go to really understand like my value? What I should be paid? Where do you go to understand what you should be paid? Or do you even know why you're paid what you're paid? What do we have? Some janky website? Resources aren't there. So from Wall Street to Main Street, from Hollywood to our homes, we're going to cover it and we're going to get into it. And I, as you can tell in my energy here, I'm like, Jason, calm down. Your beats per minute are way too high. I am excited about our opening bell with our first guest and our first topic. But before I introduce him, let me just tell you a little bit about the format of the show that you can expect every single Monday. I'll provide an intro to the trading secret topic we will cover. I will open the bell with our special selected guest. We will have a deep conversation, open their vault, unlocking details about their professions they've never disclosed. And we will end every episode with a trading secret from our guest, one we can all benefit from. 
After that, we'll have a ding, ding, ding closing bell recap with one of my lifelong friends, the voice of the viewers, the curious Canadian himself, David Arduin. He actually made a cameo on Becca's season, Bachelorette season 14, episode six. She surprised me with my three best buddies. The other two got words in. David had zero words, but trust me, he's full of words. And the best part is why I've selected him for this. He doesn't have a business background or a finance background, but he's hungry and he's curious. Making him what I think is the perfect person to close the bell is the voice of the viewer, asking me my takes on all the details of the interview and asking specifics about those situations as they relate to me. But we're also going to go a step further and we're going to have live calls from you guys so that we can answer any questions you have. Now let's get into our first topic, our first episode. Today's topic is part of our reality TV series where once a month, Every month, we will have a reality star from some different show, all shows, and the episode will be centered around the money and earnings before the show, during the show, and then after the show. You name a show, we'll have someone from it. But our first guest is a legendary Bachelor alum who is willing to share all the secrets And no, I'm not talking about production, behind-the-scenes drama, his exes on Bachelor in Paradise, but his business and financial life, his deep, deep struggles before he went on the show, to his outrageously lucrative investment returns post-show. He gets into all of it, and he opens the vault and gives us the details that we likely want to know. So here we go. Our first guest... I assure you he hasn't addressed some of the things that we talk about in this episode. He's appeared on season 13 of The Bachelorette. He's appeared on fourth season of Bachelor in Paradise, quitting week four. He's appeared on Bachelor Winter Games and then appeared on the sixth season of Bachelor in Paradise where he left in week five with his current girlfriend, Kaylin. Let's ring in the opening bell, the first episode Trading Secrets with the legend, the stud, Dean Ungler. Thank you so much for coming on, Dean. Yeah, yeah. Hey, of course. And I, and you know, it's funny. I don't think veteran is a word you want synonymous with being on dating shows. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a very kind introduction, but yeah, veteran, man, it's, it's a bummer to hear that sometimes. It all worked out. That's right. An That's awesome right. girl by your side right now. And I remember, you know, a quick little backstory before we get into the whole Trading Secrets episode. But Dean and I became close buddies right when I got off the show. And I just think about the times we had, like in 2018, it was such a blast. And there's a story about Dean that I don't know if I've actually ever said it on a podcast, but there's a story oh, about God. Dean I always talk about. And it's it's just, it's, it is like Dean to a T, but it's hilarious. So we're getting ready. And tell me if you remember this, but you come to the Bills game. We're tailgating. We're having the time of our lives and we get invited to go in the pagula's box so this is monday night oh, football God. buffalo but you know what's the story i'm telling <laughs> I know exactly what buffalo saying. bills are playing the new england patriots and so my parents are with us and my parents are being parents like dean jason blake get your shit together you guys have beer all over you're just in the bus lot screaming shout partying like animals like you got to be a professional in here i'm like all right and i say to dean like dean this is who they are this is kim pagula like just just be good okay he's like yeah i got this we walk in, he beelines over to Kim Pagula, who has got this like <laughs> ultimate presence, like no one's even around her. And in fact, in this suite 
It was amazing how it was set up. Do you remember this? She had her own like this like beautiful carpet. It was like this like beautiful carpet with these chairs. It looked like you were in this like very elegant family room with a big TV and she was sitting there by herself watching the pregame. Uninterrupted, Dean comes up to her and says, oh, so nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. I love your royal blue sweater, your LA Dodgers royal blue sweater. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, we've been here for three minutes. This is a disaster. <laughs> Well, wait a second. That wasn't even the worst of it. I thought you were going to get to the part, and you even mentioned the carpet. I, I'm pretty sure I spilled a beer like not even two minutes later. I spilled a beer all over her brand new carpet. I forgot about that. You spilled the <laughs> beer I everywhere. Thought oh. That's I thought you were going to get to. That was like, like that was when I looked around. And I was like, I got to get the heck out of here. This was bad. But you know what? Before we get into the TV side of things, you know, I don't know that everyone listening would know this, but it's my understanding for the last year or so, you've actually lived out of your van. And this is a money podcast. So I'm curious if you could tell us and walk through kind of like the expenses associated with that, why you went from living in an apartment to a van. Tell me the whole story and what it's like living in your van. I appreciate this podcast because you're right. I think that it is like taboo to talk about finances Mm -hmm. for whatever freaking reason. And I think that one of the biggest reasons for it is like, it kind of like gives the financial institutions the control and like it gives the the employers the control and all that kind of stuff. So I actually, I started a travel blog outlining all of the expenses of things like flights, uh, hotels, food. Like if you want to go to Egypt, jump on there and see how much it costs me to go to Egypt. And I, I have a similar post for my van. The van itself was obviously the biggest expense. The van itself cost me, it was like just over $27,000. I personally have a, a, a bad financial history up until a few years ago. So I had to pay for it in cash, which was a, a big bummer. It you know, took a big hit there. And then after that, I probably put like another $20,000 worth of upgrades into it with like solar and uh, a bunch of other stuff that I can't remember, like a roof rack, like a bunch of, you know, like refrigerator sink, like all that kind of stuff added up to about 20 grand. And then the day-to-day, man, the day-to-day is not bad. It's, it's basically like you eat what you would normally eat. You know, I've got like a stovetop burner in there. Uh, so you can like cook spaghetti or, you know, rice or whatever the heck it is that you want to eat. I'm not much of a chef, so I eat out a lot. But the expenses, like honestly, so that was actually one of the big reasons I wanted to do it too was because I was traveling so much that if I was like international for, you know, eight months out of the year, but I'm still paying, especially in LA, such high rent prices, I was paying like 1800 a month in rent. Mm-hmm. By being in a van for a year, I saved, you know, just over $20,000. So I could be like, okay, cool. I saved $20,000. Let me go ahead and ball out a little bit more in my van because I know that it's going to essentially like be a return on investment for me in that sense. From an ROI perspective, I'm kind of scratching some numbers here. Let's say 50 grand all in. Let's say rent in LA is 3, 4K. You don't have rent. Obviously your girlfriend does. Net, net, you think you've come out from a return perspective positive? It sounds like you have. Well, it's, it's so subjective um, because there are so many different things to consider. Like I would say I came out on top tenfold, if not for saving on rent, but for buying the van, converting it, going back on Bachelor in Paradise and being the guy that lived in a van like that alone, uh, I think like got me, you know, it kind of gets you more brand deals with companies you want to work with. It gets you more Instagram followers because people are talking about how weird it is. And so uh, on that avenue alone, I think it was absolutely worth it. And I, I, I love it. I still use it all the time to this day. So. The underdog story sells. There's no doubt about it. You know, when Dean came into paradise and was like the hottest dude to ever walk the planet, people are like, fuck this guy. He comes in, long hair, mustache, living out of van. It was, oh, poor Dean. And boom, followers go up by 500,000 and your dude. rates triple. <laughs> well, that, that exactly, basically, exactly. And that was the biggest thing too. I was like, I really didn't want to go back to paradise that second time. 
And I was like, you know what? Screw it. If I'm going to do it, I'm just going to like make a caricature out of myself. Like fucking let people make, like make fun of myself before people can make fun of me kind of thing. And I think like some of the, I think like the bachelor was like, oh, this guy, like he's kind of like beating us to it. Like they were almost like, mm-hmm. a little sour about it in a sense. In my, in my opinion, I mean, I could be mistaken, but at the end of the day, yeah, it was all fun. It was all, it all worked out. The van, I do think has paid for itself a few times over, you know, in addition to saving rent and then that, and you know, it's nice to be able to like go out now, like recreationally with Kaylin and not have to worry about getting a hotel. So that saves you a couple hundred bucks a night, like that kind of stuff. So yeah, um, that makes sense. And one of the things you just alluded to is the fact you do have a partner now and obviously things change and that you guys did buy a house. And I thought from the research I did, it's in Vegas. So if, yeah. from a, from a dollar and cents perspective, I know Vegas is, is a very um, solid place to live from a cost of living adjustment, right? Zero, right. 0% state income tax. I believe property taxes are in the 0.5%, which are the lowest in the entire country. And then sales tax are in like 6.5%. So cost of living adjustment, it's the place to be. Was that part of the reason that you are now, and, and are you building a home? Would you buy a home? Was that part of the reason? And what are you, what's the plan for that home? No. Yeah. You nailed it right in the head. That was a huge part of it. I was talking to my buddy back in like September, October last year. Uh, and he was like, yeah, like, I don't know why you guys are still living in LA. Like you should get a place like Nevada or Texas or something where you pay no income tax, um, mm-hmm. especially for, you know, people like you and me where all of our income is 1099. And so yep. income tax is like pretty, it's like a pretty big impact and influential sure. influencer thing on our, what's going on. So we were like, yeah, like let's, let's look into it. And then, uh, Kaylin's grandparents and her aunt and uncle live in Las Vegas as well. And so we wanted to buy a house because renting sucks. I, I think you know, you throw so much money away renting throughout the course of a lifetime that eventually you're just like, why are we doing this? Like, let's start putting our mortgage towards the house rather than a rent payment being thrown away. Right. And we were looking around LA and dude, in LA, it's like, we were looking at like houses that were like 1.5 million. Good closet. Like fixer upper. Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. It's small. It's a fixer upper. It's in a location that we don't really want to live in. And then we started talking about it and like mulling over our options. And we were like, well, we love Vegas. We go out there to visit your family all the time. Um, and we got a three bed, three bath for just under half a million dollars. And like the HOA fees are like basically non-existent out there. So yeah, as far as like an investment goes, it was definitely, that was kind of like a move. That's good stuff. You know, one thing you mentioned was 1099 and Influencer World. We have a full episode. We have two CEOs of the biggest influencing companies talking all about the ins and outs of influencing. It's a wild, wild west. And I talk about the ins and outs of rates and money I've made. I I open that all up because you had said something about the fact, the stigma of money. The more information that we have about money in different industries, the better we can be as like retail consumers. And to your point, I couldn't agree more that the system is currently set up to work with the masses. And as long as the masses don't know the ins and outs of money and where it's made and how and why and what employees in their companies, the same positions are getting paid, the better the people at the top are. So conversations like this are, are very helpful. But one thing I'm surprised about is that you said you had a bad financial history. The reason I'm surprised about that is because I remember in Vegas, I'll never forget this, when we were coming into the hotel, I had literally like three bags. Like what a joke. I had a, a carry-on, I had a backpack, and I had a full bag. And we were there. I mean, we had like think like eight or 10 events or whatever. It was four days. You come in the smallest little itty bitty suitcase <laughs> I ever saw in my life. And I said, I pulled you over. I'm like, Dean, how the hell? Like, you got to teach me how you did that. And one of the comments you made to me, and it, this wasn't verbatim, but it was something along the lines of, I like to live with as little as possible and make the biggest use out of what I have. To me, and I remember we played some blackjack and, and you know, I bought in a few, 500 bucks or something. You bought in a hundred bucks and I know you're doing well. I'm like, come on, buy in some more. You're like, no, I'm, I'm pretty like, I'm cheap with my money. I want it to go further than the average Joe. So technically I would think like you're a huge budgeter. You know how to spread that dollar. And I heard that you had a bad financial history. So 
So walk me through that place of your explanation to the bad financial history and how you corrected it. Yeah, well, for, for the record, to, to comment on that real quick, I think you just got it more of a, of a complex skincare routine than I do. So that's kind of why you're <laughs> a little more luggage than I okay. do. But, uh, but uh, so yeah, I don't know. When I was in college, I went to the hospital. I was like, had some drunken night out, got tased by the police because I'm an idiot. <laughs> I was very young. I was like 19 at the time. And I was just like, you know, being a buffoon. I think I was like peeing on the street and the cop told me to stop peeing. And I like, started running away and he tased me. And I went to the hospital for that. And uh, the hospital bill, as I uh, uninsured college kid was like, it was like 10 grand, which really isn't that much. But for me at the time, it was like enough to me being like, I'm going to forget this ever happened. I'm not yeah. going to do anything. And I'm going to hopefully like the statute of limitations kicks in in seven years and it just gets, you know, wiped clean from my record. Sure enough, not the case. Um, I also <laughs> had like some student loans that I defaulted on. So I came off of the bachelorette, probably like 25,000 bucks in debt, which again, isn't that much, but sure. it, it, it can be, it can be for sure. And they were all delinquent accounts. And so my, you know, my credit scores were, you know, barely holding on above 500. Uh, and that's why when I first got my first couple like influencer checks or whatever, I think my very first check I ever got was like 10,000 bucks for shilling some sort of mattress on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was like, $10,000 for a mattress for like, for me to just post <laughs> like, and I get a free mattress out of it. That's great. So I did a couple of those. And uh, immediately I was like, the very first thing I did was paid off all of my debts to like, you know, the credit creditors, whatever it is. Sure. And that was, I want to say like three years ago, three and a half years ago. And so even since then, like I'm still obviously paying the price for being so careless of it when I was younger, but it's definitely improved pretty significantly. So yeah, if I could go back and obviously not do those things, I would, but just have to have to pay the price now, I guess. Yeah. And people that I've met with through Restart, I mean, I think the biggest thing is being able to plug those holes and then figure out what the behavior was and finding solutions to make sure that behavior doesn't repeat itself. Because everybody, everybody fucks up their decision making with expenses, whether it's buying, saving, selling. I mean, everybody does. I think it's just how quickly you can recover. Uh, there's a reason why right now there's literally $420 billion of rolling credit card debt in the United States month to month. There's a reason for that. Yet there's only 39% of people that have $1,000 in cash should they need the money right away. So it's That's a crazy true. world we live in. Now you're a four-time bachelor uh, appearance guy. Sorry to rub it right, in, but right. you are. Now yeah. I talk on this episode too about some of my bachelor contracts. So I talked about, you know, how I, we weren't paid on bachelorette. I talked about what I was paid on bachelor in paradise, but I decided not to go. I, I forego that. I signed the contract, then pulled it back. I talked about what the bachelor contract looked like. And then I was also recruited to do a podcast for uh, the bachelor. I ended up turning down when I talk about that. So I'm curious from your perspective, we know on season 13, at least I, I would believe that you weren't paid. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, if you were, but I'm curious how did those contracts change from show to show if you're willing to speak about it? And did yeah. you leverage it all the fact that your notoriety and, and familiar face fame became greater for each show? Therefore, your price point would have or at least should have gone up. Right. No, in theory, that that's uh, absolutely right. So, yes. So I did not get paid for Bachelorette. Uh, and that was a tricky time, too, because Bachelorette, you know, you take a leave of absence from work. You're not getting paid for mm -hmm. the time that you're spending on the show. You still have your bills to pay when you're back home. Uh, and I got super lucky because my roommates at the time, when I left, even though I thought I was going to be gone for like a couple days, a week tops, they started airbnb my room out right away. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to pay rent, fortunately, while I was gone. And then I got back from the show and I was like, struggling for cash. Wasn't sure what I was going to do. Go back to work. But like, obviously, paychecks don't come right away. And then they were, they hit me up and they're like, Hey, do you want to do bachelor in paradise? This other show. 
it pays 400 bucks a day. Uh, you could be there for up to like 30 days, something like that. So I was like, oh yeah, great. 400 bucks a day, 30 days, $12,000. Okay. That's fantastic. And then I start talking to some friends and they're like, well, you should get more money because you're kind of like the guy coming off the show. You're going to be like the most, you know, you're who they want most from your season to go to paradise minus like Peter, obviously. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. Pay me 800 bucks a day. Uh, and they were like, no, if you go fuck yourself, like, I'm gonna pay you that much. we'll pay you 600. And I'm so certain. Like I, at that point I was like out of principle. I just had like, wanted them to pay. It could have been $1 more, you know, but yeah. I, out of principle, I wanted them to pay me more than they were offering everybody else. Just because sure. I thought I was hot shit for some reason. So they paid <laughs> you me are 600, hot shit. Six, 600 a day for 30 days. Uh, and I, I've heard other people, I can't remember who it was, but I've heard people getting upwards of like a thousand bucks a day for paradise. Mm-hmm. But at the time, you know, like I said, I was struggling for cash because I took two months off of work, didn't see a single dollar for those two months. So uh, 600 bucks a day for 30 days, 18 grand, like I'm, I'm seeing that. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I would have done this for, you know, 100 bucks a day kind of thing. For sure. Go on that show. And in my experience, at least most of the money that comes from going on any type of reality TV show is from the endorsements that follow afterward. For sure. So we filmed Paradise and then I get a call. You know, I left Paradise single. Obviously, that whole that whole season was pretty complicated for me. But I got a call. I was like doing some some event in Canada, and the producers were like, "Hey, we want you to be the Bachelor for us next year. Uh, wow. Do you want to do it?" In the back of my head, I was like, "No, I don't want to do it. Like, I just went through the worst season of my life. Like, I don't even know. I don't want to get like married anytime soon, anything like that." Right. But I was like, "Well, it's too big of an opportunity to pass up." So I said yes, I, and I think that they offer it to a couple of people every single year. So I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. Send the contract over. So they sent the contract over. It was for, uh, I think it was like 75 grand okay. uh, to be the bachelor for the season. Uh, and I'm sure you probably got something similar to that, right? Not, it was not a, the price, but at least like. So ours was a hundred. So I, I, mine was a hundred. Nice. And then what they did is they gave three contracts and we were all buddies. So we just compared them. So me, Colton and Blake each had contracts for a hundred. I talked to a couple other former bachelors and bachelorettes. And I was like, Hey, like, just so you guys know, like I'm being considered for this opportunity. Uh, just so I can like, kind of price myself into it. What were you guys paid for your for your mm-hmm. uh, cooperation and all that kind of stuff? And 100 seems pretty good. Pretty good. I, I was pretty happy with 75. And again, like you just said, like anything would have like the, the money doesn't come from that contract. The money comes from after the fact. So yep. Um, yep. I said yes to it. And obviously they ended up, I think they went with Ari that year instead, which like forever grateful. Obviously it's kind of led me down this path that I am now with Kaylin. So and then uh, those other shows were like, I kind of like just stopped caring because I was like, what's the difference between a thousand to $2,000 per show? If Again, like I'm not going for the big paycheck that comes from it. So I kind of sure. stopped caring to negotiate so much until the last Bachelor in Paradise season I went on. I was like, yeah, guys, like I'll do it, but you got to pay me like $20,000 an episode <laughs> or, a, or a day <laughs> or something, like some absurd amount. Like, like when I said it to, I was like so vindicated. I was like, they're not going to get me for a for a dollar less than what I need right now. <laughs> and then eventually as time wore on, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'll just, I think I went down to like $602 a day or something like that. Okay. So similar um, to ba- to Paradise Round 1. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And, and and dude, those shows are crazy because it's like, there's such so many contestants to pull from that like your presence doesn't really matter to them no, that much. You no. know? For Winter Games though, and if you said it, I apologize, but what, what did it look like for Winter Games? It was very, very similar. It was like 400 bucks okay. a day. That one filmed over a much less shorter amount of time. Yeah, Winter Games was like the one thing where it was like we were just doing it because it was like interesting and fun for the first time ever they had done it. But that one was like the ratings were horrible for it. The pay was bad. The setting wasn't that great. We were like in Vermont and it had 
it snowed in so long. And so it was just like one of those things where it was like, why are we all here? Like, this is kind of just a waste of everyone's time. For sure. And I think you've been perceived in so many different capacities, like the hot single guy, the the adventure nomad, the the player, like you've had so many stigmas yeah. because of the different ways that you were like were at least captured on the show. I don't really want to dive into that. I, I know you've talked about it on so many podcasts. What I do want to dive into is how that actually affected monetization. As we're talking about this, the ins and outs of rates and marketing, did you, when you signed up for the show, did you ever think that this could be a financial opportunity? Or did you just say, you know what, I'm sick of work. I don't like where I'm at. Let's just roll the dice, see what happens. Yeah, definitely the latter in that sense. <laughs> okay. I, uh, like I said, up until I got that first deal for that mattress, I like didn't even realize that you could monetize Instagram. Yeah. And I think I had talked to like Ashley Iconetti after filming Bachelorette, like seeing if I should go on Bachelor in Paradise. And she was like, it would literally be a horrible like career slash financial move for you not to go to paradise. Hmm. Um, because she was like, I've had so many opportunities come to me through it. And I was like, opportunities? What do you mean opportunity? Like this is before yeah. Bachelorette even aired, you know what I mean? Sure. So I was completely oblivious to it, but obviously super grateful for mm-hmm. all the opportunities that have come from it. Like you kind of mentioned earlier, I try to keep my overhead costs pretty low. Yeah. Uh, and as long as like the income is continuing to go up, it's like a nice little uh, gap there, I guess. There you go. And you talked about opportunities. And one of the opportunities I saw that you have, and you've had for quite a while now, I think I, I tallied up 152 episodes. Could be wrong there. But is this the I Suck at Dating podcast with Jared. Oh, yeah. And I know you guys have had Jared in there and you've had Vanessa in there. And so tell me a little bit about your vision into the podcast space now that you're there from uh, a rewarding factor and also a potential lucrative factor. What are your, what's your overall take on it now that you have a podcast that's been out for that long? Yeah, we've been kind of hot and cold with the podcast. Hmm. Um, As I'm obviously, you know, you're hosting the podcast now the, the work put in, it can vary from anything from an hour a week to 10 to 20 hours a week, depending on exactly how involved you are and like post-processing and all that kind of stuff. We have a pretty sweet deal with iHeartRadio. So, you know, Jared and I are essentially like the on-air hosts. We'll come in for an hour and a half a week, talk about whatever we have to talk about. iHeartMedia does all the sales for all the ad spots. They do all the post-processing. They do all the sound engineering, all that kind of stuff. And because of all that, we've structured our deal. Well, I guess they structured it and we agreed to the way that they structured it by like giving iHeart a pretty solid percentage of it. And I think that there are podcasts or podcast hosting networks, whatever it is, like there are like podcast companies that give you like a huge chunk of the pie of the ad sales or the ad revenue, but you're required to do a lot more of the legwork. And so it's like a constant battle in my head, like, oh, should we be doing a lot more of the legwork to be take more of the, the piece of the pie? Or should we be grateful with what we have and like very minimal work, but with very, you know, still decent rewards? I really enjoy it. The checks for us come quarterly, which is, you know, fine. It's not like I'm not like getting rich off of our podcast. Sure. I would say, uh, I've made probably like 50 grand a year on the podcast since its inception. I always tie it back to that job that I had in LA before going on the show where I'm getting paid 50 grand a year to talk on a podcast for an hour and a half a week. Like that, that, that I'm the luckiest person in the world for that, you know? Right. But then I know there's like other people, like my, my peers and my friends that have podcasts that have kind of like told me their figures a little bit and they're raking in like 300 grand a year, 400 mm-hmm. grand a year just on their podcast. I'm sure, I'm, I don't know if you talked about Caitlin's numbers, but I'm sure her income off of her podcast is astronomical. 
but anything I can get, I'm just, I'm grateful to get whatever I get. So you, you I'm, wouldn't I'm, believe I'm very it happy unless with, you with saw it. You wouldn't believe it unless yeah, you I've, saw it. And I'm, I'm going to hope to have her on once to talk about that because that's not my place. But yeah, very, she does very successful with that. Um, so what's interesting about the pod space, you know, again, open book, I'll tell you my, my whole deal here. So I'm with Dear Media. They might actually cut this out, but I, I'm going to put it out there because I think people <laughs> should be talking about this. Yeah, Dear Media, go. they do a 70-30 split. So I get 70%, they get 30%. And then other than that, there's no other like guaranteed or income or anything like that. But they do all post-editing. Um, you know, They do all the behind-the-scenes work. But we book our guests, we do it, we send it in, they do the rest. Now, what was different is The Bachelor podcast, I did some negotiating. It was originally going to be me, Hannah Ann, and Tasha, And I'll probably get in trouble mm-hmm. for talking about this. But again, it's my business, so I can talk about it. Um, and I'm yeah. not contractually obligated not to talk about it. But they offered me that podcast, 2.5%. It was a one-year deal, 2.5%. And it was a hundred grand a year guaranteed. And I ended up deciding not to do that for a bunch of reasons. One, I just think so the title of that podcast is clickbait. And so for me, it's just like, it doesn't at all fit into my brand. And to your point, if you're going to be doing this and speaking about it every week and planning for it, it, it could be exhausting, it could get hot, it could cold, it can monetize, it can not monetize. And it's just like, for me, I have no, I just don't have an interest in that. I'm going to get bored with it. Yeah. This is the stuff I've been doing since I've been 15 and I love it and I love talking about it. So even if it doesn't do well, I feel like it's a good source of like information and I enjoy it. And so that was one reason. The other reason is it kind of like competes with the whole idea kind of competes with what Caitlin's doing. And I'm not going to go into the same area, same market that's going to compete with her. So yeah, but it's interesting to see how these, how these uh, networks just like work certain. I've heard some some deals that are just atrocious and then some people who absolutely crush it. Then you see Joe Rogan, best podcast in, in the country, getting $500 million for a fucking exclusive. It's it's a wild world Insane. we live in, man. What, it's a what wild was the two and a half percent you said? Two and a half percent like ownership so, of the podcast? So yeah, yeah. So the clickbait one with the bachelor group was the hundred K a year, and then it was uh two and a half percent of ad revenue. Oh, nice, nice. So obviously, like, now I get 70% of ad revenue, but I don't get the guarantee. But the reason right. I made that wasn't a financial decision. It was more of the other things that didn't make sense. Um, well, that's that's kind of my thing, too, because my podcast, uh, Help I Suck at Dating, if you're listening to this, feel free to chat yeah. over and check it out. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily love talking about dating topics once a week, you know, it's but it's like at the end of the day, like, I could talk about travel or photography once a week, I guess, but it's still great at the end of the day to like have a platform to discuss things. Like, let's say there's something that came up that I really wanted to talk about with whoever wants to listen. It's nice to be able to have that platform to be able to do that. And without that podcast, you could probably find a way, but like, it's still like a nice, consistent conversation that you're able to have, I guess, even if it's not necessarily a topic that I want to be talking about. Like there are times where I'm like, especially when I was single, yeah. And everyone's like, like, they're like, hey, like, what's the update in your dating life? And I'm like, man, I don't care to update you guys what's going on in my dating life right now. Like, it's definitely gotten a little bit better since Caitlin and like having a girlfriend and some stability in that. Yep. But there were times where I was like, get me the fuck off this podcast. Like, I'm miserable. <laughs> in I, come, regards I come into the studio and I'm, my anxiety, my heart is beating through just my chest. Just get so high. Oh, dude, it was the worst. Was and the any, worst. I, I mean, iHeart, I give them so much damn credit because anytime I go on an iHeart podcast, I'll start sweating bullets because the pre-production is so damn good and they find ways to like get this shit out of you. you like, last time, I'm on with Ben and Ashley and within five, I've never in my life, I don't think I cried on the fucking Bachelorette and I go on their podcast and I swear to God, in the first five minutes, I start talking about my brother and there's this moment I remember seeing him bullied and I literally in five minutes crying on their podcast. I'm like, what the fuck? 
how do you guys do this every time? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a credit to Ben and Ashley because they're pretty good at what they do too. I sure. love it. I love it. Um, so you talk about uh, Help I Suck at Dating. That's Dean's podcast. You obviously are dating. Um, is financials a topic that you and Kaylin talk about? Like, is this open conversation or you guys kind of just run in your own world and not bring it to the table? Yeah, super open conversation, which has been great. Uh, we actually have like a joint checking account. It's amazing. Have, like, so like, let's, yeah, let's say like let's say we, I, we actually got that pretty early on in our relationship too. Wow. Like, let's say we're going on a date or we want to travel somewhere. What we'll do is instead of like buying it and then uh, asking for money, we'll just like we have like a joint debit card, you know. So like we'll just use that joint card whenever we do stuff together, and that's been great. There are like sometimes Brilliant. points of contention where like let's say like I'm driving somewhere. Or like, let's say she's driving somewhere that she was already supposed to be driving to and she uses the joint card to get gas. And I'm like, why are you using the joint card to get gas? If you're driving there already, like you should just use your own credit card. Very like small little, uh, little tiffs like that, but nothing sure. too serious. Um, but yeah, especially with like buying a house together, finances have to be pretty uh, open and honest in, in terms of like what we're dealing with. And it's interesting because I think I've, I've actually kind of thought about this a little bit lately. One of the reasons that we are able to be so open and honest is because like things are good. Like, you know, like we have money to spend, we can live comfortably, we can buy what we want to buy if we want to buy it bad enough. Mm -hmm. There's never really a point where we have to like really kind of like rub two pennies together to, to make something happen sort of thing. So I, I'm always curious what will and what would happen if, you know, like times are a little tougher, we had to budget a little bit better, but it, it definitely makes it a lot easier knowing kind of what everyone's working with in the relationship. You know what I mean? I think it's a good system. Open communication and that works really well. I, Caitlin and I have been dating for two two years and we haven't, we don't have anything like that. We have a system, but we don't have a joint account. I think that makes so much sense. It's brilliant. And I think having those conversations are fantastic, especially because if you look at divorce rate, the number one reason for divorces is financial distress. I'm curious of this. And and this has, <laughs> I, this is not planned. This is not anything of that nature, but I, I, I'm very curious your thoughts. You might get engaged at some point. I'm not asking you to talk about that. But sure. the whole ring buying process, and we are doing an episode. We have a jeweler because that's a, that's a whole different nightmare. And anybody and everybody that can get shortcuts in that industry will need them and we'll give them. But what is your thought process on the ring buying process? Like, are you the guy that's going to go buy the big diamond? Are you the guy that's going to be like, no, you're going to wear like, I want you to wear a rubber band ring because that's more meaningful. Like, what's your, give me your philosophy on it. I fully despise the jewelry industry i knew that was gonna be the case that's why i asked engagement ring industry man <laughs> i knew it and you want to know what's you want to know what's funny actually is uh to, to kind of take it back to even like the bachelor negotiations and they're like we want you to be the bachelor like i met with uh one of the heads of the uh, the studio and i was like sitting there in the studio with them and and i was like hey like just so you guys know like at the end of the show i don't want to ask a girl to marry me with a big diamond ring like i don't believe in diamond rings i don't believe in that type of engagement um and they looked me dead in the eyes and they said Dean, if you're the bachelor, you're gonna fucking you're gonna fucking ask the person to marry you with the diamond ring. And I was like, I I probably just lost it right then and there by saying that because it just it's so crazy to me that people are gonna go and you know shell out what is it like a quarter of your yearly salary to buy a ring for someone? Yeah, it's a beautiful diamond ring. Who do you, you know, think day, came like, up with that strategy? Right, exactly. quarter of your salary. It's these companies company. that sell them. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. tell me a little bit. I mean, you said you despise it. So, what? Give me the full opinion of Dean on the diamond ring engagement ring process. I'm all about big expenses are perfectly fine. They they come with life, but as long as they add practical value to your mm -hmm. life, you know, you buy a house, you live in the house, you buy a car, you drive the car, you buy a thirty thousand dollar ring. What is that ring doing for you other than like it's it's essentially giving you social status, like bragging rights to your friends, like oh my god, look at this beautiful ring my fiance bought for me. 
it just there that money could be so much better spent somewhere else and then you even like look at obviously like diamond mining and how like unethical that is and mm -hmm. uh the carbon footprint of, of all, all that kind of stuff too but it, the biggest thing for me is like the practical application of a big expense like that a diamond ring has absolutely no practical value in my in my opinion um sure your your fiance might love you more for getting you a thirty thousand dollar ring but in my opinion it's like if Kaylin didn't love me because I didn't buy her a $30,000 engagement ring, then she's not the girl for me. You know what I mean? Like if that is like a deal breaker for the person that you're getting engaged to, as long as that's what you value, in my opinion, it's not, they're not the person for you. Yep. I think that makes a lot of sense. I need to get Caitlin on board with that too. But Dean, this has been awesome. So we're going to we're gonna wrap up with a cracking into the vault. I'm going to rip some questions off. I just want your natural intuition. You know how this works. You have a podcast, uh, but these are questions maybe you haven't had before. So if you're ready, let's get right into it. Cracking into the vault rapid questions. Here we go. First thing, what is the worst brand deal you've ever done? Could it be dollar amount or just embarrassed by the actual product or brand? I think anytime I do like an in-person uh, appearance, obviously COVID has stopped that a little bit, but like, you know, you get paid $8,000 to go to a club in some little town and then just like have girls take pictures of you for three hours. Every time after ending one of those, I'm like, I just feel gross. I'm going to go <laughs> to the hotel room and shower, uh, play me my money. And I just hope we never have to talk about this again. <laughs> do you have anxiety the next day? You're like, this is a shit show. Uh, well, it's just like you feel like you feel like a zoo animal or like a piece <laughs> of meat, you know. And it's it. Don't get me wrong, the money's fantastic, and I appreciate the offer, but it just it's one of those things where I just feel a little icky afterwards. All right, what is the biggest or best deal? So it could either be the biggest in dollar amount. You don't have to say the brand, or it's a brand that you just love doing. It was a deal that you're just like so proud of. Yeah, um, I've been getting a couple Nikon deals lately, uh, and every time they want to do a deal with me, I'm like, "Oh, you want to do a deal with me?" Like I'm so <laughs> glad because I love Nikon cameras. Like I got my start, like I started taking photography uh, lessons on a Nikon camera, and I'm actually just doing one with them now. They're paying me, I guess, yeah, we we're just talking about it. So they're paying me just under thirty grand. They sent me all of like the top of the line camera equipment that they have, which I would have paid for anyways, mm -hmm. and they're not even asking me to post anything. They just like want me to do testimonials. And I'm like, the fact that they're paying me this much money, sending me camera equipment that I already wanted really bad. And then like, they're not requiring me to do anything on my end. I'm like, that, like that to me is like the best possible situation, you know? And when you get organic brands that you use anyway, it just makes, you're like, I'll do it for less just because it's so naturally integrated. And someone yeah. who's in the influencing space, I see your camera. I've seen you like talk about the cameras and stuff and I see the work that you do. And I'm like, I got to go buy that camera because then I'll be able to produce that. But little do people know, it's usually the artist behind the camera that's doing uh, it. Sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> no, I'm yeah, sure yeah, the equipment helps. Every time they want to work with me, I'm like, yes, this is freaking awesome for sure. Yeah. That reminds there was one deal, actually, same thing. It was 30K and it was for, it was literally, I just had to go on radio shows and give what picks I thought um, for the NFL playoffs, who I thought would win and why using analytics. Didn't have to do anything on social. Like, this is the best deal I could ever get in my life. It was like a dream come yeah. true. Yeah. Well, and you get to like use your, your hosting personality and everything too. It's, yeah, you kick yeah it it's awesome. You got to love that. So last question before we wrap up, the last segment we do is trading secrets. And we look for one secret uh, in the world of Dean, whether it's influencing travel, technology, living in the van that people might otherwise not know. And it could be financial related. But before we get to that, so think about it for a second. I know it's your, your 30th birthday next month. Oh, so yeah. I'm just curious how you're going to spend it. That's actually a funny question. I've got... Uh, answer for both of those. So this year, my 30th birthday, I'm actually going to spend it in the DMV and whatever place I need to spend it because I'm changing my last name 
to my mother's maiden name. So I'm going to be, I'm going to go from Dean Unglert to Dean Bell. Okay. Uh, and I decided my 30th birthday is the day that I want to do it. Just like a clean refresh kind of thing. So that's what I'll be doing on my 30th. Good um, for you. Exciting. I'm not Can, partying or anything. Yeah. Do you mind explaining why, or is it something you don't want to get into? Uh, no, I'll, I'll definitely explain why. So my mother obviously passed away when I was 15. I love her to death. And, and mm-hmm. I want her memory to be able to live on uh, in any way, shape or form. And I that's think cool. by honoring her by changing my last name to her last name would be, you know, pretty cool. My father, like I've thought about whether it'd be disrespectful to him or not to, to basically give up his last name and move it to my mother's maiden name. Mm-hmm. But then the more I thought about it, like he, he gave up his last name. His last name is no longer Ungler. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's Kalsa. So I don't think that I, I kind of can't come to terms with being okay with that. Uh, yeah. So that's all. It's been my 30th. And that's then story. Oh yeah. Thanks. And then uh, what was the other one? Just uh, oh, so random. Yeah. So where can I ask you, do you think your kids, will you give your kids your new last name? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, definitely would give them bell for yeah. sure. Okay. That's um, awesome. that's and it's funny because my brother is getting married next month or in mm-hmm. May, I guess. And his fiance is like, Brad, you should change your last name to bell too. Cause I'd rather be Ashley bell than Ashley Unglert. Like if you're uh, taking the last name, like bell is more enticing than Unglert. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Wow. That's so, a beautiful story. A little that's bit more pretty. That's cool. All right. Well, where we'll wrap up. Thanks for sharing that too. Um, we'll wrap up with the trading secret. So it could be anything about your your business life, uh, the influencing space, the bachelor world, any anything that like a, a trading secret you can give that might uh, give some more information to the average consumer or might even help them as they're navigating their lives financially, professionally, and personally. Well, I guess I, I don't have as much of an answer as I thought I did initially. But what's interesting <laughs> is this year alone, since January of 2021, I've made more money investing than I have influencing over the past like two years. And it's just, it's crazy to me. Uh, you always hear the old adage, it takes money to make money, mm-hmm. but you never realize how truthful that actually is until you start like making real money and how much money it took to make that money. You know what I mean? So I like, I'm like in uh, like investing groups, like discords, and I talk to my close friends about it all the time. And I'm like, Hey, like, you know, back to back in January, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to dump this much money into GameStop. Like, mm-hmm. trust me, it's going to, it's going to skyrocket and they would like do it. And then we like come back and like talk about how much money we made or like, you know, the, the tips or whatever, like we could have done better. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm always proud of how much money we're all making together, but it's like, if they're putting in a 10th of what I'm putting in, that means I'm 10 Xing the sure. income at the end of it. And so it's, it's, it's just been absolutely crazy. So like through like some ridiculous investments, like Bitcoin and like other altcoins and all that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. the income over the past three months has been absolutely insane. And obviously we're like in a pretty bullish market in terms of the crypto space, but of course. that's been like one of my things too, is a lot of them have like 10 X their investments. And then now they're kind of getting into the place where uh, they're able to start making like real, like substantial amounts of money. And so I guess any advice or whatever I would have is it doesn't matter whether you're making a little or a lot, as long as you're able to like compound that uh, and keep, stacking on top of it rather than taking away the losses but it's been crazy man yeah it's like i'll i'll be super honest with caitlin about that stuff too like i'll like for instance like a month ago this one like random coin mm-hmm. i put like 10 grand in uh it like it was just skyrocketing all of a sudden like it had 10x overnight and i was like sitting there like updating the coinbase pro app and i was like i, I made a hundred thousand dollars on this one random investment that i made some guy i was playing call of duty with was like yo buy this coin um <laughs> and what coin the was whole it? time i'm like it was called the graph. It's like okay. uh, it's like decentralized. I don't. I mean, who the heck knows what it is? Sure. I sure don't. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot but, of cool. Uh, but that stuff, I'm super open with and honest with Kaylin too. I'm like, look, I just like made the down payment on her house, 
off of this like ridiculous GameStop gamble I just made, you know, like I just made 50 grand on GameStop. So there's, a, there's our down payment. Like, I feel like that is just so crazy to me. It's like, and, and you would never do it. Like, obviously you're only investing things that you're comfortable losing and that you should only ever do that. Yeah. But it's just been, it's been a very crazy, like eye opening three months where it's like, okay, all the, all these things are going so well, obviously it's never always going to go well for you, but it's just been a, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. You know? That is so cool. That's something I, I didn't know that you do. And that's more, it's interesting to learn more about it other than the graph and GameStop. Can you think of any other uh, investments you've made that you're, that you're proud of or something that you think a little bit more about? I'm like so yeah, curious uh, about this. I got into, I got into Bitcoin late 2020 when it was down at like 15 grand. You son of a bitch. Um, Did you really? <laughs> yeah. God, that's amazing. I didn't get in that. I didn't get in that big. I wish I, I got in bigger. Uh, so I, I have a guy who does the crypto investing for me, at least just with Bitcoin. I gave him like 50 grand in November and I'm up, I think on that investment alone, just $80,000. So I've turned Let's 15 to 130. go, Dean. I haven't checked the account lately, but every time I check it, it's he's, he's killing it. And obviously Bitcoin is obviously the, the one to thank in that regard. But, but yeah, it's crazy. It's like I said, man, it's like, to be able to just like nonchalantly give a guy $50,000 to invest for you and like not have to worry about it. I never in my life thought that I would be able to be in a position to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously I'm very, very grateful. And obviously I owe that entirely to the bachelor franchise. So uh, it, it's crazy for sure. And you know, you see returns like that and you're like, okay, cool. I just doubled my salary in one investment from four years ago. You know what I mean? It's the coolest. And two two things, and I'm going to wrap up because I could talk to you about this for hours. I know I've already taken too much of your time. But one, you mentioned uh, 10x and you mentioned percentage. And I think it's really important for anyone out there listening, even if you're investing $100 and you make $10 on your $100, don't look at it like $10 and what the value of that is. Look at that as, uh, as a return, as a percentage, because you just made 10%. And if you can make 10%, think about what that correlates to savings account, which are paying 0.001. The other thing too is, 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 uh, Dean alluded to it perfectly is like risk tolerance and risk management is so important. Understanding what your bankroll is and as a percentage of that of what you're willing to lose and gamble and having an idea, I, I make the, uh, the correlation to casino. You go to the casino with 15 buddies, everyone's going to have a different strategy. Someone's going to be like, yeah, I'm going to go put 10 grand on red. Another person's like, I'm not spending $1. I'm just going to get your free drinks. Those are definitions of different risk adversity and you have to understand yours before you make any move. The other thing, I think you said it right. We talked a little bit about The Bachelor and you know people can beat up producers in the show and every angle and every which way, especially cast that comes off. Uh, but all of us that have a platform because of the show are able to monetize it in ways likely we never would have before. In the back of our heads, we all have to be very thankful and, and feel fortunate for the show that we did come from and the opportunities it's given us. The irony in my case too is I hate reality television. So like I was on the show, <laughs> having re- like I watch it every once in a while when Kaylin watches it, but like I hate reality television, but I'm super, super grateful for the things that it has opened doors for me for, you know what I mean? So exactly. Yeah, I agree. I agree with everything you said, but yeah, no, I appreciate you having me. This was a blast. Dean, I I really appreciate it. It really is always an honor to catch up. It's been way too long. We need another night out and just go tear it up. Uh, But in the meantime, good luck with everything else and congratulations on all your success. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, my man. Thanks for being here. Ding, ding, ding. Welcome back to The Closing Bell with David and Jason, where we break down and recap our guest. And David is the voice of the viewer, the curious Canadian who will get my take on everything and also input his. And we just discussed with the one and only Dean Ungler. Wow, so good to see Dean. And you know what, David? I was thinking about this. When we jumped on this, I'm like, you guys have met plenty of times before. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, Beauty. I've seen a couple times. I was at that aforementioned uh, Bills game Monday nighter uh, with Blake and a couple of the other guys. And I never forget the first time I met Dean. It was right when you got off the show. We were in New York City. We were at the bar Ainsworth. There was a bunch of us there. And I was just like I am now, just a friend of yours and, and just a normal guy. And I'll never forget, like, Dean taking the time out of his day, Sunday fun day, like, everyone's going nuts around us <laughs> to ask me questions, get to know me. What do I do for a living? Like, where am I from? And just such a nice guy. And I remember him just at that time just saying, you know, he was opening up like a book, like how lost he was, how he doesn't know what he's going to do for a living. How So he's you, you got into the weeds with him about Dude, that stuff, well, like how much you, you're making and stuff? Like You then? know me, like weeds. Yeah, you get like, in the weeds. He, <laughs> yeah, I get in the weeds. He was just like, you know. The curious Canadian. Just, yeah, exactly. So, but it's just so good to see how good he's doing now, um, how much, you know, of a passion he's found. Obviously, he's with a lovely lady. And don't let Dean fool you. Like he's a lot smarter, um, has a lot more perspective than I think sometimes people perceive, or maybe that he gives himself credit for. So it was just so great seeing Dean and seeing how happy he was. And, and I thought, you know, he did a great job. Yeah, exactly. And you got to listen to it all back. And yeah, Dean is a very well thought out guy. He's a great storyteller. Like he tells his story succinctly, uh, well thought out, and he, and he knows what he's doing and, and how he's doing. And he's also kind of an open book, which I, I give him so much credit to. We had such a good time. I also think like in anybody, like business relationships, personal relationships, take key note of what David just said. I think it's really important when you meet someone, something I look for is not only does that person talk about them, but they ask about you. And that's such a key indicator, I think, of someone's character. And that is the person Dean is. And like you said, don't let him fool you. You even caught his trading secret. The guy's made 100K on, on Bitcoin. And his his story, like anyone's, he was late to the game. He had a bad financial trouble early on, but he corrected that. And it's never too late. And anyone listening out there, it's never, never too late. One thing that he brought up that kind of caught me off guard was, you know, he was talking about his journey and in, in terms of the amount of debt that he got himself in 25K in debt. And he kind of like shrugged it off like it wasn't that amount. And I was like gasping, like that's my biggest fear <laughs> in life is being like any amount in debt. I had a debit card that was like 25 because I didn't want to like get in credit card debt, uh, which is a mistake financially. Uh, yeah. What was your take on that? You know what? Um, so first of all, I think there's a big learning discussion there is his 25K in debt all stemmed from the hospital bills, remember? And so healthcare, right. yeah. not having the right coverage and the expense associated with it is one of the number one reasons that people actually go bankrupt. And so 25K, while that sounds like a lot from a healthcare perspective and an issue, it's actually not. The average United States consumer holds $92,000 in consumer wow. debt. And what consumer debt is, just for anyone that's like, define what that means, it is, it's just essentially something that you own as a result of purchasing a good. So that is in the form of credit card debt, uh, student loans, auto loans, mortgages, etc. The big takeaway I have, and we'll have a whole episode on this, but if you're listening, you have credit card debt, it's time to restructure that. It is time to refinance that and repay it. You got to get rid of the debt. It's the most expensive. But to your point, David, 25K in comparison to the US average actually isn't too bad. Well, good. Well, that's a success story then, because he climbed his way out of it. And, that's right. Uh, and credit's real. I just, I just, we just purchased our first home in in October, and uh, just having to go through and see your credit score and how much it affects. Like we locked in a thirty year mortgage, um, and seeing how like the tens of thousands of dollars that we're saving because our credit score is fifty points higher than if it was X Y Z. So that was uh, 
it's a real thing. One thing that uh, I want to get into that Dean talked about was um, his his Bachelor in Paradise contract contracts. I should should say having gone through it twice. <laughs> I'll never forget you coming off the show, going back to work. You actually didn't quit your job, and they still they still let you come back, even though you were gone for the full time for was almost three months. Uh, I remember the code red phone calls, all those things uh, <laughs> when, you, when you were getting the offers and this and that, and, and you were close to being the bachelor as well. Um, so you're trying to navigate what, what to do. Let let us into that conversation from your perspective. Uh, what, what did that look like? How close were you to going? Um, what did your negotiations look like? I mean, David, you know, my fear of needles, right? <laughs> death, right? <laughs> like death. I pass out. I'm that guy. I went as far with Bachelor in Paradise is getting the blood test. I got the blood test. I signed the contract. I did the negotiating and That's I ended crazy. up not going. There's a bunch of reasons why I didn't go. But one of the main drivers was I just got three months off of work. I had no idea what was going to happen or come from it. I got back to work, had my job and uh, my employer at the time, which I will get into the weeds about everything with my job and ended up how I exited. And that it's a long story that we're not going to get into now. But what I will tell you is they told me if I went to paradise, I'd lose my job. And there were many reasons I didn't go. That was a main driver. But I did. We talked about Dean's contract. I actually... um, I negotiated a 5K guarantee in 600 bucks a day. So that was my contract. Never went though. So that's that. Is that 5K and then 600 a week on top of that or 5K just in case you got kicked off, they sent you home the first week? Yeah, so it's $600 a day and then it's 5K no matter what. If I go home day one, you get that uh, that at least 5K. The reason is is because like I was like, if I'm going to actually go down there and potentially have an issue with my job, like I better make Mm. some money. So they guaranteed the 5K. Ended up not going. And I just want to really quickly put put this out there that the reason I talk about these numbers, I'm not trying to like... I hope producers and stuff don't don't get upset with this stuff. It's it's literally verbatim. The point of this podcast is to break this stigma. We all need. It doesn't matter if it's a reality contract or it's your work contract or it's how much you paid for a house or how much you got in investments. The quicker we can break this stupid stigma that I was born into, which is like don't talk about this stuff, is the better we'll all be. The more information we have as consumers, the more information at our disposal about what we make and what our value is and and what we're doing and how people are getting paid, the better we can be. And the more that we try and keep that a secret, the worse off. This isn't a means of bragging or being arrogant. The worse off everyone else will be. Let's give people more information. We're going to do it in all forums. This just happened to be a reality show. And the more information we could have, the better consumers and investors and decision makers and employers and entrepreneurs we could be, the better off we'll all be. I think Dean hit the nail on the head where he was like, it's it's liberating to talk about this. We should talk about our finances. We should talk about this more. Because it gives the corporations, it gives them more power. The, the more we're silenced, the more they have control. Um, the more we talk about it, the more we can understand our self-worth, our self-value. So I thought that was, uh, was, was really, really good. One other thing so that well he, said. Yeah, so well one said. other thing that he talked about, which I think is a really important thing in just life and relationships is the conversations about finance in a relationship. And I, he had some really good examples with him and Kaylin. Where are you and KB at? Do you guys talk about money in your relationship? Yeah. I mean, that's a, a David, brilliant question. So first of all, I thought I was blown away by the joint checking account, just dating. Yeah. I think that's smart though, because you think about how many times you go to dinners and stuff like that and you know who takes what. I like mm-hmm. the idea of like, you know, put, put a few hundred bucks, whatever you can budget, put it in an account 
own it together. And then when you do stuff, just take from that account. I thought that was a really good idea. We do. Caitlin's financial um, whole situation, like Caitlin's always been very successful, uh, especially the last few years. She's just been so successful. But managing money, yeah, managing money has not been her forte. Now, she doesn't spend money. It's just she doesn't right. know like what it means, where it is, who like when it should come in, all this stuff. So when I got in, we created this whole 360 approach. Like I have every angle covered for her of checks and balances. So I her accountant is watching every single transaction. Mm-hmm. We have an assistant that's managing her AR to make sure payments that she's due aren't late. We have her manager on it. So almost every single person that has different incentives are all in this system of checks and balance so that right. there is a complete accurate communication of what she's paid, when she's paid, and how she's paid. But that being said, we don't have a joint account, but we are open and honest with uh, where we stand from a debt perspective, how much we make, what our plans are, the next home we want to afford, all all that stuff. Well, let me tell you, as yeah. a married man, sometimes, you know, you're not a married man yet. So that may change. <laughs> but I just think, you know, in life in general, I'm not, I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds in this, but I just think it's so talk about empowering conversations. Like if you're going to spend the rest of your life with someone and with the way the divorce rates are in this country, most of the, those divorce rates are probably attributed to finance. And the more you can get on the same page and be comfortable and supportive and understanding like, Hey, Let's lay it all out there before we're going to spend the rest of our lives together. How much money do you have in the bank? How much money do you have in saved, invested? Do you have a retirement? Because that sets up, well, we know we want to have this type of house. We want to know we want to have this many kids. We know we want to live in this area. The more you can have those conversations, I think the better off it is. So to hear like so KB, true. yeah, to hear KB and you, like, you know, it's all about just supporting and learning from one another. And it's just, uh, to and, each their own too. As long as you're having a conversation, it doesn't have to be the same across the board. Yeah. And I and I think to your point, David, it makes perfect sense. Too many people out there use money as a leverage tool within the relationship that has nothing to do with the nothing. relationship. Like if you're not making as much money as your partner, that doesn't mean shit. That doesn't mean you're less valuable. I don't make, Caitlin makes way more money than I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that doesn't mean that I am a less of her or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. there were years in my career where I made way more money than she did. And to, I think having those open conversations and knowing kind of like where you guys, like how you're going to meet in the middle. If one person, suppose you're in a relationship now and you're making, you know, let's say one, I'm just making this up. You're making like one fifth of your partner. Having those open conversations, like I can afford one fifth of my partner too. I can't afford the same for you on those things Mm -hmm. because I don't make so much. And I just think that is such an equal balance because anyone, especially these days, like everyone saw show, they got all this stuff, like just breaking down the bullshit, understanding where you stand and having a common agreement with your partner is imperative. The only thing that needs to be 50-50 in a relationship is love. There you go. Actually, I I was just talking to Caitlin about this. There's this motivational speaker out there who talks about the fact that it shouldn't be 50-50. It should be 100-100. And the reason it should be 100-100 is because there's going to be days, like if you're always trying to work to give 100, there's going to be days like where you're putting in 70 and your other partner's putting in 30. But then there's going to be days where you're putting in 80 and your partner's putting in 20 and vice versa. And if you both work to give 100, it leads to uh, just like above average expectations and help when others are down. Look at us in the weeds. In the weeds already. All right. Ding, ding, ding. We are going to end that with the closing bell. David and Jason, the curious Canadian himself, digging into the weeds with me. I'm already sweating, and this is only the first episode. Guys, (laughs) thank you for joining us. We have an incredible episode coming out next Monday, so be ready. And if you could, you enjoyed this. 
please keep us coming back. Subscribe, tell your friends, and most importantly, give us five stars on the reviews. If you put in a comment, some feedback, insight, also leave your IG name because we will make sure to follow you. And additionally, we might be doing a little giveaway. So IG name, five stars, subscribe, and thank you for joining us for our first of many episodes of Trading Secrets.